Thank you, man. Please turn your Bibles to John chapter 1. Several weeks ago, I had the privilege of preaching on John 1, 1 through 18, and we will continue that study tonight. One of, one of the great things about studying the Gospel of John is that John gives us his purpose statement for his Gospel. He tells us why he wrote it. And we find that in John twenty thirty one, where John says, you know, I, I could have written all kinds of signs that Jesus did. There were many. But he says, these are written so that you may believe Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. And by believing, you may have life in his name. So John's very clear why he wrote his gospel. He wants us to believe Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, because he wants us to have life. Well, as we looked at the prologue last time, the first 18 verses, John introduced Jesus in a very, very powerful way. He introduced Jesus as the Word, God's ultimate self-disclosure of his per- in the person of his Son. We find out the Word is eternal. The Word is God. The Word is the creator of everything that has been created. The word is life. The word is light. The word became flesh. The word is God, and the word became human. The word shares the same glory as the Father. The word is Jesus Christ. The word is now at the Father's side, and the word reveals the Father. Tonight, we're going to continue on, and we'll be focusing on verses 19 through 51. And the two main parts that we're going to look at tonight are going to be the testimony of John the Baptist, and we're going to look at the first disciples who followed Jesus. And both John the Baptist and the disciples will point us to the fact that Jesus is indeed the Messiah, the Son of God, and that we should follow him. John, in his gospel, really emphasizes the fact that John the Baptist, his his ministry was he came to testify about the Messiah. He came to tell people about the Messiah, to be a witness. So John does not talk a lot about him as John the Baptist, but it's very much a focus on him being one to testify about the Messiah. And that's how he was introduced to us. So I want to just look back real quick, verse 6. There was a man named John who was sent from God. He came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. If we look at verse 15, John testified concerning him and exclaimed, This was the one of whom I said, The one coming after me has surpassed me because he existed before me. So we're going to see that focus with John as we go on tonight, that John came to testify about the Messiah. Now, as we start in verse 19, I'm going to give you a little bit of background because it just starts rather abruptly. As we, as we enter John, verse 19, there's a group of men who have come to question John to find out, who are you? It's a group of Levites and priests that have been sent by the Pharisees, by the religious leaders from Jerusalem, and they want to know who this John is. And if we look at the other gospel accounts, they tell us that John was having an incredible ministry. In fact, Mark 1, 5 describes it this way. 
the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem were flocking to him. So he's drawing a crowd and the religious leaders have noticed and they want to know who is this guy. And that's where we pick up in verse 19. This is John's testimony when the Jews from Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him, who are you? He did not refuse to answer, but he declared, I am not the Messiah. Kind of an interesting answer. He didn't at all answer the question directly, although he may have answered the implied question. That may have been what was behind these religious leaders coming to him. They may have been wondering, are you the Messiah? Anyways, that's exactly how John answers. He says, I am not the Messiah. Well, they're they're not done with their questions. So verse 21, what then, they asked him, are you Elijah? So here we see that these men at least have some understanding of the Old Testament scriptures. You, you of course, are familiar with Elijah, the great prophet who performed many miracles um, and, and, and faithfully represented the God of Israel, and he never died. Um, at the end of his ministry, God took him up to heaven. And if you look at Malachi chapter 4, we have a prophecy that Elijah is coming back. Now, Malachi is not that far away. It's the last book in the Old Testament. We're pretty close to the front of the New Testament. So if you turn back to Malachi chapter 4, you'll see this in verse 5 where, it's, where Malachi says, Look, I'm going to send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. So there is some sense to their question when they ask him, Are you Elijah? But, of course, his answer is, I am not. Verse 22. Or actually, we're still in verse 21. Are you the prophet? No, he answered. Now, the prophet, we assume, would be the prophet who is going to come, who is going to be like Moses. So if you turn back to Deuteronomy chapter 18, I think, I think this is worth looking at just because these leaders who are coming to question Jesus have studied their Bibles studied the Old Testament scriptures as to who John might possibly be. If he's not the Messiah, could he be Elijah? Okay, if you're not Elijah, could you be the prophet? So let's see see what Moses says about this prophet in Deuteronomy 18, verse 15. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own brothers. You must listen to him. And if you drop down to verse 17 and 18, now the Lord is talking about this prophet who's going to come like Moses. And and the Lord says, I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he will tell them everything I command him. I will hold accountable whoever does not listen to my words that he speaks in my name. So again, they may have studied their Bibles, and so they ask, are you the prophet? And he says, no. Verse 22, who are you then, they asked. We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What can you tell us about yourself? His answer is in verse 23. He said, I am a voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, just as Isaiah the prophet said. It's interesting to me that his answer, he quotes scripture to them. He finds his place in scripture because the prophets had prophesied about him. And he, he is 
a, a significant historic figure, and he points himself out in Isaiah's writings. He says, I'm the voice of the one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, or preparing the way of the Lord. So he has been sent by God. He has received revelation from God. He's not just doing his own thing to draw a crowd around him. He's on a mission to testify about the one who's coming after him, and he's announcing the coming of the Messiah. This apparently satisfies their questions on, who are you? And so now they're going to move to a new question. Why are you baptizing? Verse 24. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees, so they asked him, Why then do you baptize if you aren't the Messiah or Elijah or the prophet? So apparently they're not too impressed that he's not one of those three. And they're like, well, why are you baptizing if you're not one of those guys? Verse 26. I baptize with water, John answered them. Someone stands among you, but you don't know him. He is the one coming after me whose sandal strap I'm not worthy to untie. All this happened in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. So John doesn't tell them why he is baptizing, which is what they asked. He just acknowledges that he is baptizing with water. And later we're going to see that's a contrast to the one who's coming after him is going to baptize with the Holy Spirit. John baptizes with water. The Messiah will baptize with the Holy Spirit. So he makes a simple acknowledgement that, yes, I am, I am baptizing, baptizing with water. And immediately he points to the one who's coming after him. And, and the... The incredible thing here is he has identified that this one who's coming after me is already here. You don't know him, but he's here. So I imagine they had a lot to talk about when they went back and reported to the Pharisees because they've got to figure out who this guy is. But John is making this announcement that one is coming after him who's already here. They just don't know him. And look, look at the contrast he makes between himself and the one coming after him. He says, I'm not even worthy to untie the sand, his sandal strap. Now, what John is doing here is, is something very significant in that culture. In, in a student-teacher relationship, it was customary for the students to serve their teachers. Many times they could not afford to pay the teacher... So instead of giving the teacher money, they would do tasks for the teacher. They would serve the teacher. They would work for what, for the way, what the teacher is providing and teaching them. But one thing that a student would not do is a student would not take off his master's shoes or his teacher's shoes. That job was for the slave, not for the student. The student does not have to take off the teacher's shoes. That's a slave's job. But if you look at what John does here, John actually takes this comparison and he turns it upside down because he says, he doesn't say, I'm too good to take off his shoes. He says, I'm not good enough to take off his shoes. So if you had a teacher and a student and a slave, well, John's lower than that in comparison to this one that's coming after him. It's quite a contrast between who John is and who the Messiah will be. The Messiah is far greater than John, and John doesn't want to leave any doubt in that. Now, we, of course, learned earlier in John 1 that this Messiah is God. So, yes, that certainly is quite a chasm between John, though he's a great prophet, 
But he is nothing compared to the Messiah, who is God. So this is his interaction, his testimony, as he answers the questions of this group sent by the religious leaders. So now we move on to John's public testimony as he, he gave witness to the public around him. All these, group, all these crowds of people that were surrounding him to listen to him. He's testifying about the Messiah. Let's see what he says. Verse 29. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I told you about. After me comes a man who has surpassed me because he existed before me. I didn't know him, but I came baptizing with water so he might be revealed to Israel. And John testified, I watched the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and he rested on him. I didn't know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water told me, The one you see the Spirit descending and resting on, he is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and testified that he is the Son of God. Now this public witness about Jesus is incredible. But just a couple things I find interesting. First, John says twice, I didn't know him. All right? This group, the religious leaders, they don't know him. John says, I didn't know him. John has come. He's doing his ministry. He's preparing the way for the Lord. He knows the Messiah is coming after him. He knows the one coming after him is far greater than him. And he doesn't know who that person is. He doesn't know who that individual is. He's not been identified. But yet he's faithful to the task that God has sent him to. Now, as we read this section, he does indeed know who the Messiah is. And how does he know that? Well, the one who sent him, God the Father, told him, this is in verse 33, the one you see the Spirit descending and resting on, he is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And guess what? John saw that happen. And the other Gospels will tell us that that happened when John baptized Jesus. His record of it in this Gospel is verse 32, where John testified, I watched the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and he rested on him. So now John knows this is the Messiah. This is the one who's coming after me. This is the one I've been telling you about. And now I know who he is. This is him. So although he didn't know previously, he does know now, and he is ready to make that testimony about the Messiah absolutely clear. The other thing that's interesting is now that he's giving his public witness to the crowds, not to the religious leaders, he actually answers the question, why are you baptizing? All right? He has two reasons. Verse 31. I came baptizing with water so he might be revealed to Israel. He is baptizing so that the Messiah will be revealed to Israel. Look at the second reason. It's in verse 33. It's because... He sent me to baptize with water. 
God the Father sent him to baptize with water. So he is baptizing. If you want to know why is John the Baptist baptizing, it's because God the Father sent him to baptize with water. So he's doing it. And he's also doing it so that the Messiah will be revealed to Israel. So it's interesting, he he lays that out for the crowd. He explains to them why he's baptizing. And of course, there's this distinction between John is baptizing with water and the Messiah is going to baptize with the Holy Spirit. So again, we have a contrast in what John is doing and what the one coming after him, who's so much greater than him, he's going to baptize with the Holy Spirit. His, His ministry is going to be far superior to John's. But now... Let's look at the titles that John gives to the Messiah. Because now he knows who the Messiah is. He didn't know. And he was just talking about this one who's going to come after me who's greater than me. Because even though he came after me, he existed before me. But now he knows who he is. So he's going to point it out. Look here in verse 29. So the next day, John sees Jesus coming toward him and said, Here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John points him out to all of those people. Jesus, here, is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Of course, we sang those great songs tonight about the Lamb of God and what that means to us. I mean, when you think about the Lamb of God, the the ultimate sacrifice for our sins, and you think of how it was necessary. Hebrews make some great points on this. So if you don't mind, turn to Hebrews chapter 9 real quick. I just want to touch on a couple things as we think about the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I don't know if we can think of that title, Lamb of God, apart from thinking of a sacrifice and a sacrifice for sin. And of course, now because we're talking about the Lamb of God, we're talking about the ultimate, perfect, infinite sacrifice. Here are some points in uh, Hebrews 9, verse 22 says, According to the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. So if the Lamb of God is going to take away the sin of the world, there's no forgiveness without the shedding of blood. So the Lamb of God is very, a very fitting title for the one who would take away the sin of the world. There's a requirement for the shedding of blood for forgiveness of sins. Hebrews 10, 11, and 12. And I'm sure there are many places we could go to talk about this. I'm just going to highlight a couple. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 11 and 12. Now every priest stands day after day ministering and offering time after time the same sacrifice, which can never take away sins. But this man, after offering one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God, which is where we find him as John begins his gospel, John 1, 18. Jesus offered a one-time sacrifice for sins forever. The ultimate sacrifice. So we have this powerful title that John gives to Jesus, that he is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And he ends this section in verse 34. He says, And I have seen and testified that he is the Son of God. So he gives those two huge titles to Jesus, the Messiah. He's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He is the Son of God. That's the testimony of John the Baptist. Now let's look briefly 
at the first disciples who followed Jesus. Verse 35. Again, the next day, John was standing with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God! The two disciples heard him say this and followed Jesus. I love this. See, John's ministry was so much about the one who's coming after him, who is greater than him. They well knew that. His followers well knew that. John didn't have to say anything to them. He just points out, look, the Lamb of God. And they start following Jesus. They already know the one coming after him is the one they really need to follow. He's the Messiah. So I love that. John tells them, he calls out Jesus again by this title, the Lamb of God, and these disciples begin to follow Jesus. Verse 38, when Jesus turned and noticed them following him, he asked them, what are you looking for? They said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? So it seems kind of like a a little bit of an awkward question, but I mean, what would you say if you were following Jesus? You want to follow him. In theory, he doesn't know you. And he turns around and he's like, why are you following me? So maybe the best they could come up with, where are you staying? But look at Jesus' response. Come and you'll see, he replied. Look at that open invitation from Jesus. We see this all through scriptures, but especially John six thirty seven, where it talks about that everyone the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will never cast out. Anyone who comes to Jesus will not be turned away. So these disciples want to follow Jesus? Jesus is going to welcome them. Come, and you'll see where I'm staying. So let's continue on. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day. It was about the tenth hour. Now, we don't know what happened that day. They, they saw where Jesus was staying. I'm sure they had conversation with him. They talked to him. They may have seen him do something. I don't know. But they are fully convinced that this Jesus is the Messiah, and they are ready to follow him, as we will see as we move on in the verses. So they have John's testimony that this is the Messiah. They begin to follow him. They spend a day with Jesus, and whatever happened that day, they're ready to follow him. Look what happens next. Verse 40. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard John and followed him. He first found his own brother Simon and told him, We have found the Messiah, which means anointed one. And he brought Simon to Jesus. And when Jesus saw him, he said, You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which means rock. So the first thing that happens after these two men begin to follow Jesus, it's Andrew and an unnamed disciple, probably John, the Apostle John. We don't know that. But the first thing Andrew does is he goes and gets his brother. And he says, Simon, we've found the Messiah. And Simon comes with him to meet Jesus. And Jesus, of course, welcomes him. Those are the first three disciples in John's account. Two are following him because of John the Baptist's testimony. And one is following him because of the invitation of his brother. Let's look at the next two. Verse 43. 
The next day, he decided to leave for Galilee. Jesus found Philip and told him, follow me. Now, this fourth disciple is different than the first three. In this one, Jesus found Philip, apparently just walked up to him and said, follow me. And Philip did exactly that, as we'll see in the text. In fact, Philip, this should be no surprise, but Philip believes he's the Messiah, and so he follows him. I don't know why he would follow him if he didn't think he was, you know, someone important. But Philip believes he's the Messiah, and he follows Jesus. So look what Philip does, verse 44. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the hometown of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and told him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law, and so did the prophets. Jesus, the son of Joseph from Nazareth. So Philip now is going to get Nathanael. And he says, Nathanael, we found the Messiah. Okay, he doesn't say the Messiah, but he says the one Moses wrote about in the law. And so did the prophets. So now Philip is going and sharing with Nathanael. Now Nathanael is a little different because he's skeptical. Look at his reply. Verse 46, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Nathanael asked him. Come and see, Philip answered. So he's, he's doubtful, but Philip is convinced. He's like, well, just come and see him. And he does. And he too will be convinced that Jesus is the Messiah. Let's look at this exchange with Jesus. Verse 47, then Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said about him, Here is a true Israelite. No deceit is in him. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. This this interaction I find interesting because apparently Jesus' description of him is spot on. Nathanael accepts it as, this guy knows something about me. How does he know that? So apparently Jesus hits the nail on the head here. And and Nathanael's like, how did you know that about me? So look what Jesus says. Still in verse 48. Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you, Jesus answered. See, not only does Jesus know everything, maybe a hint at, but he also maybe sees everything a hint at. And Nathanael is completely convinced Look at verse 49. Rabbi, Nathaniel replied, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. And already we have our fifth disciple fully convinced Jesus is the Messiah, the son of God. Jesus responded to him, do you believe only because I told you I saw you under the fig tree? You will see greater things than this. Then he said, I assure you, you, I'm sorry, I lost my place. I assure you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. So Jesus is saying, basically, you haven't seen anything yet. If you're impressed by that, you're going to see a lot greater things than that. And it's really interesting what he says that they will see. They're going to see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. And I think the closest parallel we can think of to this thought is Jacob's ladder, where heaven was opened, and the angels of God were ascending and descending on this ladder to Jacob. 
So that's probably what's in their minds as they hear about heaven opened and angels ascending and descending. But notice what's missing here. There's no ladder. They're ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Jesus is the bridge between heaven and earth. Jesus is the bridge between God and man. Jesus is the mediator between God and man. And what these disciples are going to see is they're going to see heaven's approval. They're going to see the heavens opened up in a way that they're going to see that God is truly showing that he has sent this one to be his Messiah. They're going to get confirmation of that. They're going to see that happen. It's incredible. But I think what's crystal clear from these two main things, the testimony of John the Baptist and the first disciples who began to follow Jesus, is that they wholeheartedly believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, which is exactly what John wants us to believe so that we may have life. It's also interesting, these five disciples, two of them are there because of John the Baptist's testimony. Two of them are there because of the invitation of another disciple. One of them because Jesus directly called him and said, follow me. So what can we learn? How can we apply a text like this? As we continue to see Jesus exalted in the Gospel of John, how should we respond? I have four questions. Number one, have your sins been taken away? Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John has written these things so that we would believe Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, so that we would have life. John 3, 36, the one who believes in the Son has eternal life. The one who refuses to believe in the Son will not see life. Instead, the wrath of God remains on him. Or as we learned in John 1, 12, although when Jesus came, his creation rejected him and his own people rejected him, those who did receive him, they became children of God, those who believe in his name. So I ask you, have your sins been taken away? Our answer is right here. Question two. Do you have a me-first mentality or a Jesus-first mentality? We have so much we can learn from the humility of John the Baptist. Life is not about me. It's about Jesus, who is far greater than me. And John's mission was to point people to the Messiah. So do you have a me-first mentality or a Jesus-first mentality? Third question. Are you following Jesus? Are you going hard after him? If you believe what John says about Jesus, that he is the Son of God, the Lamb of God, the Messiah, the King of Israel, the Son of Man then you will submit to him and follow him. You will no longer be going your own way. Are you following Jesus? 
And the fourth question, are you bringing others to Jesus? That's what John the Baptist did. It's what Andrew did. It's what Philip did. It's what we should be doing if we are his disciples. Just like Pastor Paul talked about in the mission spotlight in the grace giving time. Are you bringing others to Jesus? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word that you have given to us so that we may know you. So that we may know that Jesus is the Son of God. That Jesus is the sacrifice for our sins. That Jesus comes offering life. We thank you for the privilege of studying your word. Would you help us to believe your word and treasure it and obey it? Help us to follow Jesus. Help us to lead other people to Jesus. Father, would you help us this week? In Jesus' name, amen.